It's Monday, April 10th, 2023, and shit is wild out there. Welcome to season one, episode three of Luke, Who is Your Father? A podcast about mystery, scandal, and triumph of the familial variety. This season, we're telling you about being triplets separated at birth, the trials and tribulations of growing up separately, coming together, and the hunt for our biological father. I'm your host, Kenny. This is Jules. And I'm Ricky. We did it. <laughs> we can spell odds. We made it. Spell odds. We're here. <laughs> Kenny had a rough go of it just then. It was a little rough. There might be some outtakes. It's okay. <laughs> I have to say, each and every episode brings a new learning experience. We hope we're getting better. Fingers crossed, y'all. All right. So, um, if you weren't here with us last week, we uh, interviewed mine and Julianne's mom, Tina. Uh, she gave a great interview. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to go back and do so. However, uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about little Rick, little Ricky over here. Horns. Horns. <laughs> Kool-Aid. A.K.A. Kool-Aid. You guys. <laughs> We're going to read some letters today, and in one of these letters that we're not reading, I wrote to Julianne and Kendall and told them that my nickname was either Horns or Kool-Aid. So if you ever see Ricky passing by on the street, give her a good old, what's some up, Horns? Hook them Horns, y'all. <laughs> yeah, just pre-gaming for Austin or something. Hilarious, yes. Definitely make sure to go check out that episode. And today, yeah, Ricky's in the hot seat, which I'm excited for. And just kind of going into her childhood, what that was like. But Kendall, I think you have a question to ask her first. I do have a question to ask you. Um, Ricky, I didn't realize that I would need to prepare this. <laughs> you gotta, you pull it off out of your mental hat off the cuff. <laughs> All right, Ricky, what is the craziest thing that you have ever done on vacation? Oh, God. <laughs> that was a good one, Kendall. You're going to have to change the ratings on the podcast already. <laughs> the craziest thing that I've ever done on vacation. Oh, okay. So once we were, I was with my ex-boyfriend, we were in Spain and who knows? I guess we'd probably been drinking out at the salsa club. <laughs> and we were staying in like the Spanish countryside outside of Barcelona. And so when we got on the train to go home, I told him, like, do not fall asleep because I'm definitely falling asleep. <laughs> I'm so sleepy. I need you to watch for our stop. And he was like, all right, bet. <laughs> and then... We both wake up. I can see that as I'm waking up, he's waking up. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And we had missed any all, all stops. This was the end of the train ride. And it was so far into the Spanish countryside. It was probably like two hours north of our Airbnb. <laughs> so we had to walk home on like a railroad track, basically, because it was the only place lit up. And on top of that, once we got back to our Airbnb, I was like, oh no, 
I've lost my passport. (laughs) (laughs) And this was on top of when I booked that vacation, got it all booked. You know, I'm a planner. It was our booked six months ahead of time. (laughs) And we get to the Austin airport to leave for that vacation. And they can't find our flight. And they're looking at my ticket and they're like, no, we don't know why we can't find your flight. And then they're like, oh, you're supposed to be in Dallas. (laughs) So I had had been a total mess, canceled all of our, because they said we couldn't get on our um, connecting flight because it was booked through like a third party. So I had canceled all of our Airbnbs, canceled all of our flights in between. And the front desk clerk came running up to us and she was like, I felt so bad for you that I got you on this other flight. And I was like, perfect. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So just a total, total disaster of of a trip. I guess the whole time wasn't a disaster, but that was definitely, yeah, walking two miles or two hours in the Spanish countryside to get home. Not and for the faint of heart. When you say middle of train tracks, you mean the middle of the tracks, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's terrifying. No, gracias. <laughs> and like, we were both pretty small people. <laughs> I hope he. Well, you I, made it out. I hope he gets that zinger sometime. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me on vacation. I think. That doesn't have to do with my own. No, it does still have to do with my own bad behavior. Never mind. Kendall, what's the craziest thing that you've ever done on vacation? I wish I didn't have to tell this story again. <laughs> I really do. You asked the question. Pony oh, up. Oh, man. Fuck with the bull, get the horns. I cannot wait to just refer to Ricky as horns in front of so many people. It's just going to be the best. Um, I'm going to have to say the craziest thing I've done on vacation um, was my most recent travels across the pond. Um, I went on a work trip for (laughs) work, and (laughs) I allowed myself a few extra days at the beginning and at the end so that I could, like, actually do things other than the work trip. Where were you across the pond? <clears throat> I was in Portugal, Lisbon. Gorgeous. Yep, I wish I had better memories. Um, <laughs> so, basically, um, I also traveled to Europe right after college. I did five weeks, um, and I was with a trio So there was no splitting off to, like, go do stuff on your own because, you know, you hear all the horror stories about, like, what happens to American girls overseas. So I was like, I'm not going anywhere by myself. I spent the whole time with this trio, and it wound up being a little bit um, contentious, shall we say. So this time, well, what... When I went back to the U.S., I was, like, telling the story of my travels, and and everybody was like, well, why didn't you just, like, venture out on your own? And I was like, well, the the horror. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the horror. Oh, the the shame. (laughs) And they were like, oh, you've been fine. So I was like, okay, cool. So this time I was like, I'm going to venture out on my own, and I'm going to see Lisbon by myself. And the first half of the day went great. Um, Lisbon is beautiful. 
But then I had a whole second half of the day. I was like, what should I do? So there's a city outside of Centra, or of Port Lisbon called Sintra. And it has beautiful architecture, like really cool castles, palaces. So I was like, I'll do that. And I took a train. And of course, I had been on my phone the entirety of the morning videotaping Lisbon. So then on the train, I have like 25% battery left and I have the whole rest of the day awaiting me. So I get to <laughs> Sintra um, and my plan was to get a hop on hop off bus because that worked really well for me the first time I went to Europe, but then I couldn't figure out where it was. <laughs> so I was just going to walk up to the top of the, to the cool castle that I wanted to see. And, um, on my little trek, cause it was going to be like an hour and a half, like hike, like straight up a mountain, um, a tuk tuk, tuk tuk driver stopped and, and asked if I needed a ride. And I was like, actually, yeah, I really do. And he found a couple other dudes to like, you know, come up with us. And, um, so it was nice. And I was like, you know, there was three people in a tuk-tuk, so I, like, the door, like, literally opened, like, while we were driving up there. So I'm just, like, holding the door closed, like, the whole time. So I'm just really focusing on that. And then uh, we get up there. Everything is great. He doesn't make me pay because he got his two-person fee or whatever, and he was like, just let me know when you need to come back That's down. That's what you think. That's why you weren't paying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, just let me know when you want to come back down, and I will come get you. So I turned my phone off to conserve battery because I was like, I can't be stuck in Sintra with no phone. And then uh, so I couldn't reach him when I was going. So then I was heading back down the mountain, and he's coming back up. And I saw him and I was like, hey. And he was like, here, let me give you a ride. <clears throat> I was like, sweet. And then hopped in the tuk-tuk. He takes me down. He's like, have you eaten anything? And I was like, no, I'm actually starving. And I always get stuck in tourist traps. So if you could help me not do that, that would be amazing. So we went to a little cafe, got something to eat. And then um, we are heading back because it was getting dark. And I was like, I just wanted to get back to the train station before it was dark. So we're heading back. It was lovely. He knew like everybody at the cafe. So I was like, okay, so people know that I'm here with this dude. Um, and then <clears throat> we're heading back. I'm telling him about my boyfriend, Lee, and how great he is. And <laughs> he stops uh, to go look at a uh, geocache which it actually was a geocache. I was like following him and I was like, this might be where I die. Um, but it wasn't. And then we go back. I signed my name on a geocache in Sintra, which is kind of cool. And then we went back to the tuk-tuk and he tried to kiss me. And I was like, dude, no, absolutely not. I told you I have a boyfriend. I don't uh, roll that way. <laughs> so can you just take me back to the train station? So he takes me back. Everything was fine. Um, Besides, you know, me planning <laughs> escape routes in my head. And then we get back to the train. And I won't bore you guys all with the the harrowingness of having to miss three trains to wait in multiple lines to get train tickets. <laughs> and then I get back and I'm <clears throat> my phone is dead. I miss my stop. It seems to be a, a, 
a theme with us. <laughs> I miss my stop, so I have to walk 30 minutes back to the hotel in um, Lisbon without a map. I just had like a little screenshot in my head of that I had taken when my phone was dying. Screenshot that you had taken. I don't think anyone's ever so okay. actively. Man. <laughs> well, I had taken a screenshot of the map, and that's what was in my head. Anyway. <laughs> So I uh, finally make it back to the hotel. I plug my phone in. And to just really cap off a swell day, I have my first ever dick pic waiting for me. From, from the tuk-tuk driver. From the tuk-tuk driver. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so next time you travel, what's the, what's the verdict on traveling alone? Buddy system at all times, people. <laughs> just find a buddy that you like, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I'm like really upset with you for this question. We're going to have seasoned travelers listening to this being like, these girls don't know how to do anything. <laughs> we're, we're just not the most street smart all the time. <laughs> what she okay. means is we're <laughs> careless and reckless. And that's not just with our personal safety. It's with like our belongings, et cetera. I don't think we're careless so much as we're just very trusting, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, a good quality, but also will be our downfall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it already has has been been. a number of times. (laughs) So, Sorry, Leanne, mom. I'm glad you're okay. And me. (laughs) I got got an Instagram phone call from Kendall that day and was just like, oh, what is this? That was scary. Yeah, that ignored me. I didn't ignore you. I can't remember what I was doing, but I didn't ignore you. I thought, oh, I thought it was an accident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So rest assured that I am fine and um, I will not be repeating any of those errors that I made. And I bought a portable phone charger as soon as I got home. That was going to be, I was hoping your <laughs> yes. number one takeaway. Yes, a power bank will now be accompanying me. Perfect. Well, Jules, I know that you just don't favor going over the pond. I have not been over the pond yet. No, I'm not a seasoned traveler. But we're going to get you there. Yeah. So when Kendall asked that question, I was racking my brain and I have discovered that most of the time I've been on vacation, I think it's been with you guys. I'm not going to tell a story from that. I was really debating between two, and I think I'm going to have to tell about Puerto Rico. Okay, let's hear about it's Puerto Rico. It's a little Rico. bit of a different, a different vein. So I went to Puerto Rico, also on a work trip, and I knew I was going to be seeing my ex-boyfriend, who I had broken up with a year before. Very contentious breakup. Because it did have, it was all intertwined with work and business. And it was heartbreaking for me. And it was not the healthiest relationship when I was in it. And I knew that I was going to see him in Puerto Rico for the first time in a year. Dude, I seriously can't even remember who this is. This is the person who slept walk that he was, or slept yeah. talk that he was bringing we home don't the need bacon. To, we do not need to say his name. Okay. <laughs> and I was so sure that he was going to be bringing a girl with him that I had to employ a decoy boyfriend. I had to call a friend that I'd had from elementary school and high school. I will say Coulter's name. Coulter, I'm so sorry about this trip. I hadn't seen Coulter for literal years, probably five years. And 
texted him out of nowhere and asked him to be my decoy boyfriend for this trip. He said yes because he had family in Puerto Rico, which was the coolest part of the trip because we did get to see his family and he had never met them before. Yada yada. I am weak. And the second I saw my ex-boyfriend, I could hear my heart pounding in my ears, like pounding when I gave him a hug. I gave him a hug. We went to go have a drink at the bar after this ceremony. And I said, I can't even talk to you. I cannot even look at you and talk to you. And I went and started sobbing on this beautiful balcony in this full moon. And he followed me out. And he, I really don't want us to be using, overusing hot button terms on this podcast, but he is a fucking gaslighter. And he told me that he missed me and he loved me and he wanted me to move home from California. And we made plans to do this. Like I was going to quit my job, move home to California. And I got, look, poor Coulter. I think he had a great time still. (laughs) He was just off with the rest of the people from the trip. And I got on the plane to a text while I was texting him, it was like, when should I email the landlord that I'm moving back in? And he wasn't texting me back. And I landed back in Dallas to a text that said, essentially, psych. He had a girlfriend at home the whole entire time. And um, yeah, that was, I completely lost my mind and got back together with my ex-boyfriend only for him to use and abuse me for the trip, which was his plan the whole entire time. And he had a girlfriend at home. And I was just yeah, that was really rough. That was really rough. That's the craziest thing I've done on vacation, oh, which yikes. clearly means I need to go across the pond because I really need to rewrite that story. I would also really like to go to Puerto Rico. That might be a, an option for the moms. It is technically U.S. It is a U.S. territory. And the yes. water is so warm and it is gorgeous. We found a loophole. Dude, I don't think the... there's any way we're getting that woman on a plane. <sighs> we'll think we'll about it. We'll make up something. We'll <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> So I hope that that will never happen to me again. That will never happen to you again. That will never happen to you again. These are all learning experiences, I would say. I'm looking forward to my lost my shit across the pond story on vacation. Well, the good news then was we're in a great position to always blame any of our mistakes or faults, especially on this podcast, uh, on being fatherless women. (laughs) Fatherless behavior. <laughs> this is the behavior of a fatherless woman. Someone said that to me on TikTok. It was fun. That's hot. <laughs> well, let us wrap up, and I think we should dive right into it. So today, we are really going to be focusing on Ricky's childhood. Mm-hmm. Right, Kendall? So I think uh, we do have some letters for you guys that... We will read some of the content of, and then I think what we should start with, Rick, is just kind of, because we've heard a little bit about this from uh, the first episode with your mom, but of course want to hear it from your point of view. And if you can just take us through kind of like your earliest memories, how you grew up, where you grew up, what you remember from then, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. And the reason that we're doing this this way is because like the more and more that we talk to people the more episodes that we do, um, the more that we open the conversation. It's just been pretty clear that people are more interested in our dynamic as separated sisters more than anything. Um, And I think that's super interesting to kind of examine the nature versus nurture 
component of everything. Kendall, did you want to say something? I did also want to say something. Um, I just, I have kind of made an observation since we started doing this that um, I think with our letters that we did, like we kind of did like social media before social media because like our letters are very like, everything is great. We are having fun. We love everybody and everything. (laughs) And um, that's not (laughs) really our experiences. So in the same um, way that we had these conversations with Kathleen and with Tina for the first time ever, this is kind of the first conversation that we've ever had like this with Ricky because, um, yeah, from from her letters that you will hear, uh, I had no idea for a very long time about a lot of this stuff. So, yes, we, it was a like very we were representing what we thought were our best selves. <laughs> uh, they were not. <laughs> How wrong! How wrong we were. But to give you like an overhead view of my childhood. A lot of it is going to sound really sad, and it was, but I still, and everyone knows, I couldn't be more open about being super therapized. I still don't look back on that and feel like a neglected child. I don't feel like everything was sad. Like, I remember having, like, if I can pinpoint memories, they're really happy. But overall, so me, my mom, who y'all met in episode one... And my dad lived first in Brighton, Colorado, (laughs) which is that a nice, is Brighton getting nicer? Where is Brighton? (laughs) Because it sounds mountainy to me, but I know it's not. I think it's between. I think Brighton is where I got Duke. Yeah, I think it's rural. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like on. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, man. It's very rural. Okay. So that doesn't feel rural to me at all. And um, so we lived in in Brighton. That's where they like brought me home when I was a baby. And my dad, again, was 58. My mom was 35. She's 95% deaf. And my dad is a truck driver. So I actually was thinking about this the other day and talking to Colin in the car. And I don't think anyone knows this. I spent like a good amount of time long haul truck driving with my dad. Okay, (laughs) hold on. Because... When your mom said that, I don't know if I knew that. Did you? Did we know that Lee was a long-haul truck driver? No. Because I was going to specify that with her, I whether think, or not he was long-haul or local. We he, didn't really know a ton about Lee at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason I was going to ask is because I sold trucking insurance for a while, and they are not home. <laughs> so he took you on his trips with him. Yes. To where? What was his? Do you know what his route was? <laughs> no idea what his route was, and I don't have any memory of like getting to a place. Like I only. Well, have... you would not have. You would have. They don't. It's not like you go stay at the fucking Ritz Carlton once you get there. You would have just been carrying a load, and dropped it off and come home. Yeah, ex very expeditiously. You need to get it fucking done. You know. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time with him doing that. Like, he had a bunk yeah. in his truck. Yep. <laughs> I remember, like, I, I so, it's so sparse, but I do remember that's where I discovered 
cookies and cream Hershey's bars. Okay. <laughs> so we ate a lot of those on the road. And I remember like his green and orange um, or his white and orange Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, pretty so poignant funny. to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so spending a lot of time with my dad. Um, Real quick too, I just wanted to, uh, as um, fans of true, con- true crime <laughs> and true crime podcasts, Truck drivers get a really bad rap, and I just want to say that they are very cool people, and they really love, like, long-haul truckers love their jobs. Like, when I when I was doing insurance with her, uh, I talked to a lot of truck drivers, and they just, like, love their jobs. It's crazy. Yeah, I think to be a truck driver, I mean, obviously some of them are horrible because that's why they get such a bad rap in true crime, but I think you have to be what he was described as loquacious. I think you have to be a pretty confident, jovial type person because they have so much fun with each other on like the CB radios and there's a real sense of community community Mm -hmm. there and camaraderie. Yeah. What I will say is that because I have also spoken obviously with a lot of truck drivers, I do think that it takes a very big toll on... Relationships. I also think that what people might not know about a long, a la la long haul truck drivers is that they, do you know if he was self, like, did he own his truck or did he drive for a, did he drive someone else's truck? He drove someone else's truck. Okay. Because it's a, when you drive like your own truck, you're basically self employed. And it's, I mean, it's a costly thing to, to have a truck and to keep that going, but. Yeah, no, I want to say it was, oh, the name is like right on the tip of my tongue, like Cuners or like something, something so similar to that. So yeah, I did that a lot with my dad because he was obsessed with me. That's <laughs> like, what I was going to say, because that's, he just wanted you near him then. Yeah, yeah. And it was like before I had to like go to school, school. it was when I was still young enough to not. And my mom worked graveyard shifts for the post office. So I think that he just kind of (laughs) thought that it would be a good idea instead of her having to take care of me all the time when she's working like really long graveyard shifts for me to have like a little fun in the truck. And now I cannot help but think that that really contributes to me being a road warrior. I will drive anywhere. I'm also wondering if it's legal. Now that I'm really thinking about it. (laughs) The answer is probably no. (laughs) So, yes, very close with my dad. That was a point of contention for my mom and dad Mm -hmm. that I remember vividly is, and now after speaking to my mom, I know it was probably, you know, her being like, you didn't even want this. And now now our little girl is not able to be detached from you. Like you two are attached at the hip. So, but when we were home, I mean, my uncle lived close by. He lived in Gunnison and he's hilarious. (laughs) My uncle Pat, I think now he's like a 70 year old bachelor. That's the way he likes it. (laughs) He's just like um, the funniest cynic. I don't know. (laughs) And then my grandparents lived in Missouri And that was all the family that we have. Like I have an Uncle Mike, but there is a rift between him and my mom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just like the tiniest, teeniest little family unit. We had 
a dog named Beamer <laughs> after a motorcycle. And it was just a really simple life. Like I remember right. my mom making cinnamon toast for me and <laughs> watching Barty a lot. But um, And then I know that my neighbors behind us babysat me often, the Moraleses, <laughs> which um, they were pretty incredible. And then we were good friends with our, our neighbors across the way, uh, Jeannie and Frank as well. Valerie. Actually, Valerie, I think I saw that you are following this podcast account, which is so crazy. So <laughs> hello. Hello, Valerie. But yeah, my mom and dad's marriage, She, there's a reason that she was so scared that he was going to leave her. And it's because their marriage was not great. Like, right. They fought often and loudly. And I think just because of all of that, following him around from his childhood and up into early adulthood and feeling so much like a nomad and having these unsuccessful marriages, he just really couldn't be tamed. <laughs> and there are, like my mom has been pretty upfront with me about it, but also it's not necessarily something I want to hear, but the entire thing is always colored by infidelity. Right. That was a big, big, big problem. And something my mom didn't really get into, I wish we'd asked her about it more, is my mom had a really hard time with men because she was deaf. It's right. so different today in 2023. Like, I feel like none of us and no one that I know would ever look at a person with any sort of disability and have it affect their opinion of that person or whether they were attracted to that person. But she had like a really hard time dating, which I think is why she went, she said that my dad was old enough to not care um, and to not have that be a really glaring thing that stuck out to him. He probably also liked that she couldn't hear him, if we're being honest. Um, so I think my mom felt really, really attached to him in a way that she could not extricate herself from him. And that was like the scariest thing she could think of was right. to like be without him. So she put up with like a lot of shit. And then they were always on their motorcycles. I remember I... Uh, put my hand in a motorcycle exhaust when I was like three and they revved the bike because they had no idea Jesus that my hand was in there. Christ, ouch. So, <laughs> while I was not neglected, obviously people were consuming alcohol all the time. They were working on the bikes all the time. My family has rampant alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Grandpa, both uncles struggled with it. Mom is what she considers to be a recovering alcoholic. So... There was a lot of careless behavior happening, and I I'm, I was watching home videos recently, and I already said that, uh, but I'm essentially nonverbal a lot mm -hmm. of the time. Like, I don't have anyone to talk to, and I'm pretty unamused by what's going around <laughs> me, I think. But there's, like, a video of um, that my dad's taking, and they're both inside, and I'm playing outside in, like, my first snow, and I'm, like, rattling the like our chain link fence. We had a chain link fence. <laughs> and my dad is like, man, we should really go out there with her. And my mom is like, it's too cold. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just not left to fend for myself a lot, but there was a lot of very adult behavior going on. I was going to say, and I, I'm trying to figure out the right way to word this, but... I think when so many people have children, that that now becomes the focal point of their lives, the focal point, their reason for being, reason for their existence. 
And I think that it causes a lot of actual, it causes a lot of unhappiness in women a lot that they're just starting now to talk about because they completely lose their sense of self. But it seems like your childhood, maybe they still very much had their own lives that they were living and you were just kind of, you know, along for the ride, along for the ride. It wasn't, you know, drop everything and now we're, now we li- we're living our life for this child. Yeah, it, rather than uh, the way that your parents like created moments for you. Right. My parents did not create moments for me. I was just along for their moments. Right. Yeah. And do you think because of the relationship that, or how your how your mom saw um, her relationship with your dad? Do you think she spent a lot of time? consumed with thoughts about that as opposed, you know what I mean, instead of... Incredibly. And I think she made that pretty clear in her episode. Like, he was her number one priority, and keeping him around was her number one priority. I I definitely think it shifted. I can see in these letters that they love me more than anything, but Mm -hmm. I think she had to focus a lot on keeping the marriage together rather than that just being a safe space for her. So she had a lot of energy to expend toward right creating moments for me and I think um like and I you know I love Kathleen and I'm so grateful to her but a lot of what she was saying in her episode was that they didn't really talk about this stuff and they didn't really think about it they didn't really think it through um and I think that she followed her biological clock or whatever um, told her she needed to be a mom, and then she was just like, we'll figure the rest out. And it also sounds like um, maybe she was trying to prove to Lee that you would not change their lives Right, that that's much. a really good point. And, like, just, like, kind of carrying on as they always had and still having you. So it probably felt like a really, like win-win situation because they got to have you and they were both obsessed with you but they also got to like carry on their normal lives and they didn't focus on that's you. so huge she tried to make it seem like it wasn't a big change mm-hmm. yeah hmm. great call out, Kendall yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this Rick and we can you know we can or we cannot but when we're talking about infidelity I, I do think that there are some specific instances that stand out to you. And this was not something that was necessarily hidden from you. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, there's one moment in particular, and I don't remember this, but I know when I went home, I don't remember when I went home. It could have been pretty recent or it could have been like while I was in college but my mom kind of got on a photo album and it was of a, like a trip that my dad took me on with him, a camping trip or a fishing trip. And she pulled out one picture in particular and was like, who is this with you? Like, who is this woman with you? And I was like, I don't know. And she, so yeah. And I haven't pressed her on it too much because it makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. But I think that he openly didn't right. hide it from her. Like, I think that there were almost moments where he was wanting her to know about it. Like, he really flung it up in her face, from what I understand. 
Yeah. That so. seems really hard. And I think that, again, it kind of goes along. We've, we've come such a long way as a society and as a world to say it's better to have parents that are apart and have them be happy than to stay together when they're not happy for the benefit, quote unquote, of the child. Whereas I think back then, it did not, it, you, were, you were going to stay together no matter what. Divorce was not an option, especially in a lot of faithful households, things like that. And it didn't matter, you know, they would stay together for the benefit of the child or whatever it was. And it was just, we're going to stay together regardless of any of these things that come up. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what it seemed like? Yeah, that, and I don't think that she felt as though she was, like, an eligible. Right. Could be able to be someone else's partner. Like, I think that she had truly had such bad luck up to then that she was like, no, I'm hanging on to this no matter matter what. what. Mm -hmm. And especially after they, yeah, had me. But my mom recently texted me probably close to Christmas, and she was watching something on TV, and she said, would you have preferred it? Like, do you think you would have been better off if me and your dad had gotten a divorce instead of all of the fighting. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And she said, you know, that she did as well. Um, And then she hopes that that's something that people feel more comfortable doing today. Yeah. But so we're in Brighton. It's a, it's a (laughs) rowdy crew at our place. (laughs) Like 4th of July parties at the family People getting too drunk to take me to Dairy Queen, which is all I've wanted on the 4th of July. Um, But still a lot of really happy moments because I was with them all the time. Like, because they had integrated me into their life that way. Like, I remember feeling a part of something very early on. And that I think they were sort of acknowledging that it wasn't, like, there were no other kids around. So they thought it would just be better to include me in the things that they were doing, treat me as an adult. I was watching Aaron Brockovich by the time I was like seven. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I don't, I don't, I couldn't say I would go back and change it today because I'm such a unusual person now in a yeah. way that I appreciate because yeah, of very, it. Very much so formed who yeah. you are. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, Yeah, they were all very, aside from my mom and her being so caught up in my dad, super individualized people and taught me to be like a super individualized person. And they also recognized very early that there was something special about me, which I think is true for all of us and we'll get into. But um, they knew that I probably had a higher intellect Mm -hmm. (laughs) than a lot of other kids did at that time. And they really fostered that within me. Like I remember them always telling me, you're so smart. You get to be the first, like the first person in the family that gets to do whatever they want. My dad taught me to stick up for myself. He said, if anyone ever hits you, hit them back twice. (laughs) And like they had my back in that. And they were so unfamiliar with like having a, a child in school or like the opportunities that should come later that they really investigated like, oh, what should that look like when right. we have this like special little daughter here. And I would, I think we'd be remiss to not say that at this time, I think that my mom adopting out you two was actually affecting her like way more Mm -hmm. than we had any knowledge about until like maybe we interviewed her. And I think that's a good place to read one of these letters or a part of it. Um, 
Canada. Just, I think it's a good time to kind of give everyone a little <laughs> reprieve. So yeah, a nice reprieve. I mean, I don't know if it'll be a total reprieve <laughs> because some of this is pretty sad, but it's pretty touching. And I, I always want to call back to just to answer people who think that maybe this was really easy for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you hear a lot of shuffling of pages during the rest of the episode, it's a good thing because we're reading you real genuine letters from 1991 and on paper on paper that were mailed with a stamp <laughs> they're all in cursive <laughs> yes that has made this very difficult yes so this is a letter from 6 months after we were born and she has started it just by absolutely freaking out that I won't nap <laughs> <laughs> this one is at the end of her rope you can tell but she says and this is to Tina and Ken I think of all of you every single day. I don't only think of you once or twice a day. It happens constantly. You are never far from my thoughts at all. I love all of you so much. I feel something that I can't quite put my finger on, but it is such a close feeling. Sybil said that had things been different, you could have been a good friend for me, Tina. But I also feel the same of Ken. I feel that I could talk to him about the same things I could talk to you about. I care for the both of you so deeply. The fact that Ken being able to have children of his own but still loving my girls with no reservations really means a lot. I hope that they're asking for pictures and a note, or I hope that asking for pictures and a note once a month or so doesn't bother you. I need to see your happiness to make my sadness not seem so great. It started hurting when I started feeling like a mother. I'd give anything in the world to have been able to keep all of them. But then also, I wouldn't have been able to experience seeing the great joy that I have given you both. You know, there's one thing if I could do over again, and that's that I would have had you there with me, Tina. My thinking this without knowing which ones were yours, it would have been difficult. But now I feel that those thoughts were foolish. Also, the person I had there, Tina, was a wrong choice. I'm an affectionate person. I like to hug my friends. And while we were in surgery, I needed her to hold my hand and it didn't feel right. I regret this with my whole heart, how I'd wish I'd have asked you. So now I want to be honest to you both. I was wondering, could we get the girls together for some Christmas pictures? If you don't feel comfortable about me coming to your house for them, we could go to a studio somewhere. I think this would be a special thing to do. I've often thought, If I had just one baby, I wouldn't feel like this. But these are triplets, and that's why I'd like to have their pictures taken on their first Christmas and their first birthday. If you don't want to do this, I understand. More than anything, I don't ever want you to feel threatened by me. Please don't ever have those feelings. I don't want our relationship spoiled in that way or in any way for that matter. Julian and Kendall are yours, and they always will be. After those pictures on their first birthday, I won't see them again physically, unless they come looking for me. I just hope, too, that they never hate me. I pray they never think badly of me or that I'm a bad person or that I didn't love them. It would break my heart. (laughs) It would break my heart more than anyone would ever know. So, yeah, I think just in thinking of the way that they were with me, um, they had a lot of shit going on that, like, They've never been, I don't think that they had the words to be super upfront about it then. 
super upfront with it about or with each other about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so often in that interview, my mom said, like, we didn't really talk. We didn't really mm-hmm. talk. And I think that that's a really common theme with parents of that generation anyway. Yeah. Like that they sit down for dinner and they talk about what they did that day. And then they talk about what they're going to do the next day. And then they sit down in front of the TV and they just weren't exactly prone to having like deep conversations. And I think if they could have broken that barrier with each other, it would have been a lot different. And there's just so many moving parts, right? I think that for Kathleen, it would have been so hard to reach out to Lee and say, I'm feeling so sad about this and what he could have come back with, right? The fact that it wasn't a decision that he was necessarily thrilled about in the first place. Like there were, there's just so many things that could have misfired that I'm sure it just felt like not a, an impossibility to even broach the subject because you're, I mean, I think, and I hate saying, I don't want to like project this at all because I don't think that she should feel this way, but I think she's feeling obviously grief and shame. She was probably feeling some shame and yeah, just so many, so many things wrapped in one that it doesn't surprise me that that might have been a, the point in their marriage where the communication really became really difficult mm-hmm. because there's just always a gigantic elephant in the room that there's too many different ways to address that it would ju- have just been so overwhelming. And on top of that, she's dealing with a newborn, <laughs> like a kid to take care of. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we heard her say that he was actually pretty forceful with Tina and Ken. Okay, we're ready to see the babies. And I think that must have been, he felt like he couldn't do anything and couldn't communicate with her when she was feeling so sad. Right. So, and a lot of men do this. He was like, okay, how can I fix it with an action Mm -hmm. instead of openly communicating? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pretty, again, pretty rough and tumble. (laughs) I did feel like... um, I felt really special because I was the only kid. So I very much felt like their little mascot. I can see me, they, you know, did their best to throw me fun, cute little birthday parties <laughs> with everyone, like, in the garage <laughs> looking and at the bikes. <laughs> just to, This is just becoming more and more clear for me. When you say throwing birthday parties, all of the guests at your birthday parties were fully grown adults. Yes. <laughs> Which and is they, so cute, but yeah, definitely not a typical childhood. I don't think you were in daycare. You weren't, you were not social. <laughs> like a puppy. You want to socialize your puppy. You weren't socialized with other, with other kids that until probably you went to kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. And they always because of that made me feel like really cool. Yeah, like, I would have <laughs> felt like a fucking badass. <laughs> yeah, I felt very cool hanging out with them all the time and then um oh man, somewhere in here, we'll find it, but yeah. So, my dad was a long-haul trucker. My mom was a mail clerk. That obviously started to weigh on them a bit because now we have a letter from 1997 and it's jumping ahead a little bit, but we have Ricky Lee is writing to Julianne and Kendall right now. She's using her first dictionary to help her along. She's doing so well in school. She catches the bus ride at the end of our driveway. Also, Lee retired from the postal service. Oh, yeah. He was a long-haul trucker, then a 
a mailman, just like my mom, um, and is driving school buses for Wells County. He, man, he liked it behind that wheel. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> uh, driving school buses for Wells County so he can take Ricky Lee with him. It's really nice. Of course, the money has been reduced drastically. So, and I don't want people to think it's like weird when I'm saying that my dad was like fully obsessed with me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, all you little internet trolls, but (laughs) no, he, I mean, to quit your job and yeah, just adored me. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but he was chaperoning all my school field trips. And if he would come home late, he'd kind of wake me up to have, um, milk and cookies and like dance on his feet and he'd play a song. And well, you spoke in, um, your mom's episode, you spoke about the child that he had lost and I know that that was devastating for him. And we've made some conjectures that maybe that was part of his hesitancy to have another child. But do you think that once he did bond with you, he saw this as like A another chance yeah. and his last chance to just pour as much of himself into you yes, as he could? Do you think... Ugh, I'm sorry. I got to ask, do you think that your mom, was there any jealousy? Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, my, uh, my, my uncle will tell me that my mom used to frequently like come into her, her, his room or whatever when he was staying with us. And he, she'd be like, I don't get it. Like, I think she hates me and she loves him. And my uncle had to be like, this is a thing that every parent goes through with their child. Like they pick a favorite and then they pick a favorite and then they pick a favorite. But for her, the guilt and shame that she was already feeling, mm-hmm. and then for me to be so affectionate with my father, I'm sure really hurt. Yeah. Um, but we do have a funny thing in the same letter. <laughs> my mom <laughs> told us in the le- in the first episode that my dad cooked some weird stuff. Oh my gosh! Yay! <laughs> the spam and jam. The spam and jam, and I can't tell you how true that was. I have so many memories of my father eating like tripe or menudo and trying to get me to eat this. <laughs> and he would, uh, he's a horrible cook, literally so bad. I remember it so distinctly. It was so bad that I wouldn't eat anything. Like I was the world's pickiest child, which I think people, I mean, they certainly wouldn't look at me now and think that. <laughs> but uh, me not eating weighed heavily upon them. And my mother notes it here. She says she's 45 inches tall and she weighs 38 pounds. She's such a finicky eater, doesn't like mac and cheese, grilled cheese sandwiches, spaghetti, potatoes, things most kids like. She likes hot dogs, hamburgers, steak, especially prime rib, shrimp, dark meat, chicken only. Oh my God. Early <laughs> onset carnivore. Early she onset. started the movement. Kiss my ass, Joe Rogan. <laughs> exactly. Uh, broccoli and corn. She, the doctor says not to worry that she can survive on this stuff. <laughs> Clearly, because that is all the stuff you still eat. It's <laughs> like nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Dude, she talks to someone in here about Slim Jims and then about how my favorite snack as like a teething baby is 7-Eleven beef jerky. I so. mean... <laughs> That's a staple in my life still. It, do, it still doesn't get any better than that. And then I think um, something super important to bring up, and it's so sad for me to to look back on now, but this is hilarious. My dad was not 
an intelligent man. And it's obviously because, and I mean intelligent, no, my dad did not know a lot, which I think it's super important to differentiate that being smart and knowing a lot are two entirely different things. Not a well-educated man. (laughs) And that's because he got kicked out of his house when he was 15 years old, couldn't complete high school, and then just like was a rambling man throughout the world. But I have dad. Here's your Father's Day report card. Love, A. Patience, A. Understanding, A. Intelligence, C. (laughs) Sense of humor, A. Channel surfing, A. Kindness, A. Wisdom, blank. (laughs) Allowances, C. (laughs) Okay. Can I see that? Yeah. (laughs) What possessed you? Like, did you create this? What is this? Did you, like, whose idea was this? It was definitely mine. Oh, my God. We need to make these for each other. (laughs) That is hilarious. Let's see. Wait. Oh, my gosh. The inside says, let's see if we can't bring that last grade up a bit, Dad. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Referring to allowances. You should write Hallmark cards. Oh, my gosh. This is so cute. (laughs) Isn't that cute? So, yes, my mom and I had a really great time giving my my dad shit about not knowing a lot, which real, is sad. Real quick, I, I must specify that this says, signed, Ricky Lee Jump, in parentheses, your kid. <laughs> he might just have to not remind have known. Him. <laughs> just needed to know. Just needed the little reminder. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, yeah, we eventually moved away from Brighton and moved to Fort Lupton. And I asked my mom why we did that. And she said, because they couldn't afford the house in Brighton. So I don't know why this woman is so adamant about being like, no, we were fine. We had plenty of money. <laughs> she her pride. <laughs> and when we moved to Fort Lupton, that was a different thing entirely. We, that is the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it is on sand, period. Mm-hmm. And Still. something possessed them to have a farm. <laughs> I bet there was just animals on the ground when you got there. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were and just like, those are ours now. Was it a farm in which we could, like, you know, make money off of raising the animals? No, of just course not. Just had to feed them. <laughs> just had to pay to feed them. <laughs> we just had to feed them. <laughs> so I know very often in my letters to you how many chickens we have, how many goats we have, how many cows we have, how many horses we have. Um, but I have really... I remember really loving it. Like I, hell yeah. We we I think we were really jealous of that because like we we always wanted all the animals. oh my god we, we wanted hamsters. for hamsters we wanted geckos we wanted snakes we wanted like and they were like no you couldn't even keep your we fish were, alive we were <laughs> definitely jealous of that we so did jealous. you guys subsist off of their. Like, no. did could, eggs? Did you, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. So eggs, milk. Did you get milk from the cows? No. They weren't dairy cows. They mm-hmm. were just, okay, they were just big, was big cow puppies. Was there a tax write-off like there is here because you had livestock? I have no idea. I don't think that these qualified as livestock. <laughs> livestock, you have to be breeding them. in order to. Yeah. Right? No. Because they're called livestock. I think, you know, my dad was getting up there in age, and he used to be a ranch hand, and he was like... This is all I want for my my last years. So, yeah. And so during all of this happening, right, my dad is sick. He 
first of all, is just, he's just not healthy. <laughs> he's an alcoholic. He's got a kegerator in the fridge, which he used to like send me out with a massive frosted mug to like fill up his beer. Um, so he's just not in good working order anyway, but he got prostate cancer when I was five or six. Five. And so that was kind of the start of really significant health problems for him always. And yeah, so I think, I think he knew and he just wanted me to be exposed to that. And he started me barrel racing. (laughs) So I used to be an excellent barrel racer. And I remember just, yeah, having a good time, like playing by myself out in the corrals, eating horse feed, et cetera. (laughs) And then that's when I went to school at Hudson Elementary and made like really, really amazing friends. My best friend, Lexi, she appears a lot here because her mom really took care of me when the going got rough. But um, yeah, made good friends with Lexi. Kevin Jensen lived right across the street. And so this was when I really, and I've always had like a really, really solid group of friends somehow. I think I just willed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you didn't take it for granted. She, so I think that's why you've always been really good at fostering those relationships is because you never took them for granted. Yeah, yeah. And around that time, so we, I went to elementary school there, and this is what I was kind of alluding to. I'd be curious to know if it was the same for you guys, and I actually don't know. Uh, they had a gifted and talented program. <laughs> I don't know what that's called now. <laughs> In elementary school? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Our entire school was just the gifted and talented. <laughs> No, yeah, we got into, like, the, the like, special math class or whatever, but that was in, like, fifth grade. There wasn't, like, a an ongoing okay. program. Yeah. So this was a very cool situation. This is called SAGE, Students Achieving Goals in Education. And if you made it in, that started when you were in third grade. And then instead of being in a normal, like, okay, you have first graders, second graders, third graders, this classroom had third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders and sixth graders all in the same classroom. We had something like that at Olander because I used to go to a different classroom, a higher classroom for certain subjects like reading. And I was just a big old dummy. <laughs> Anyways, Never. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so that was huge because it, I'm, I've noticed it in looking back on my life, a huge theme for me. And I think this happens to a lot of kids, especially if they're in dire straits, were my teachers. They Mm -hmm. were amazing. They were always singling me out to help me more and like really foster the things that I was becoming really good at reading and writing. And Sage just really took it to the next level because you're with that same teacher for like three, four years. So what I'm wondering, and I actually just heard this on an episode of This Is Actually Happening where the guy was like, college was never an option for me. And that was something that was instilled in me by my teachers. Where is that you're just a lost cause, whatever it is. So I'm wondering if the socioeconomic demographic, like where Kendall and I went to school, everyone was going to go to college. Like that was, that was what we were working for. I'm wondering if where you grew up and lived, if the if maybe that didn't seem like a possibility for, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Some kids? Yeah. So they were picking and choosing the ones that they really thought might pursue higher education or pursue something like that. Yeah. I think that that was probably it because 
My parents definitely didn't talk to me about going to college. Mm-hmm. Neither of them. I think my co- my mom gave it the good old college try. <laughs> for like that's a, where that comes from. That's where that comes from for like a semester. Um, but they didn't really, they told me that I could do anything that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I also don't know if they were chirping about college in my ear because there was no way that they were going to be able to pay for that. Um, so Bingo. my my <laughs> my teachers, um, Mrs. Faulkner and Mrs. Christensen, Mrs. Faulkner is all up on this. She knows that no this is way. happening. She's listening. And then Mrs. Christensen, I'm sure she does too. Or um, yeah, I'm sure someone's brought it to her attention. But they just instilled in me such a sense of that I I was smart and I mm-hmm. could do whatever I wanted. And like there were things in that class that I wasn't as good at as everyone else, like a math or a science, and then it was reading and writing. And so they didn't ever like take the piss out of me for that. They thought that that was great, um, and they really fostered those skills within me. So that just marked a long line of adults that appeared to have a lot of faith in me. Mm-hmm. And then you need to kind of mix in. My dad was a school bus driver for the district, first of all. Second of all, he was so cool and tall and handsome and a monstrous flirt. (laughs) So (laughs) they definitely all knew who he was. So I had at every turn, like um, I'd walk onto his school bus and all of the older kids wanted me to sit in the back with them and they'd chant, oh, Ricky, you're so funny (laughs) when I got on. And so they made me feel really welcome. And then the teachers were kind of like brought into my family circle in a way because they loved him. They knew mm-hmm. him. He drove their kids to school. So right. yeah, one thing I want to mention there is when he got, so after my dad got prostate cancer, he went into remission for that. And then it's in these letters, but he then had a growth in his throat. So then it was pretty clear that he had throat cancer and he just started dropping weight like crazy. I mean, he was 6'3". And when he passed away, he was 127 pounds. Um, but in, in a lot of these letters, it looks like he's like, hovering at 150, which Mm -hmm. is just crazy. And the school knew it and he was, you know, being able to drive less and less. And he, we started, it was Christmas time and, oh, this was so cool. One night we got a a present and it was like a chocolate partridge. So it was obviously a partridge in a pear tree. Mm -hmm. And then the second night we got uh, like turtle chocolates, two turtle chocolates. And they were so sneaky and we couldn't figure it out until like the last day. But the all of the bus drivers were coming around and <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> like dropping off the 12 days of Christmas for us to take care of us. So we didn't like have a lot, but we like had a lot. Like people yeah. were really looking out for us. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just like running, Lexi and I, they were like finishing a house. So she was living in a mobile home while they were finishing their house. And I remember it being absolutely massive. And now I would bet anything that it's like a totally normal sized house. I have to ask her. But they had an unfinished basement and we loved Brink on Disney oh Channel. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we would strap on rollerblades and set up obstacles, like obstacle courses in this unfinished basement and just rollerblade all day or like, (laughs) I don't know, a lot of horseback riding, a lot of rollerblading, a lot of really physical activity. We went to the roller skating rink every Saturday. I'm pretty sure my dad knew the owner there, so he let us in for free or else that would not probably have been an option. (laughs) Um, 
but overall a lot of love pouring out to us. And yeah, I, I, I know mentioning my dad and his infidelity at the beginning of this episode is really going to polarize a lot of people against him, which it is polarizing and it's not okay. But I would hope that people in seeing like the rest of the way that he raised me, um, and if I'm giving him the pass, my mom's not giving him the pass. Definitely not. I think just like but, you uh, said, you don't have to be a good husband to be, to a, be good a good father. father. Yeah, and he was the best. So he just got sicker and sicker, and it was really, in reading these letters, really, I can't think of another way to say it, but, like, grotesque. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I started being pretty relentless <laughs> at Tina and Ken because, I mean, he's so frail. My mom notes in these letters like quite often that I am openly worried for him and openly asking when he's going to die. That breaks my heart. I cannot imagine. I think that speaks to your level of maturity as a child because I do not think that a lot of children would have recognized what was happening. Yeah. Because we certainly struggled with it as high schoolers. <laughs> so... That's yeah. sad. That makes that makes me sad for you. Uh, and I just think, yeah, a lot of good things came from it. A lot of bad things came from it. I still have the tendency to sort of like, if anything's going too well for me, self-destruct because mm-hmm. it feels deeply unfamiliar and I'm much more comfortable in like a state of chaos. Right. So that's not great. But I also think that like my capacity for just human emotion – and having the hard conversations and uh, I, I don't ever like when uh, adults are like really chirping at kids like you need to be strong. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was done to me a lot. Um, but I do feel that that strength is what came from it. And then on top of my dad's failing health, something I also want to mention that I didn't even occur to me until... <laughs> Reading these letters is, I think something else happened that made my mom really angry with my dad. And she was having to juggle taking care of him with also being so mad at him for like many, obviously their entire marriage. But um, here, so everyone knows my mom is hearing impaired. She wore a hearing aid my whole life, but you know, seldom turned it on. But if she did... I think she could hear like 35% out of one ear. And she writes here, on October 9th, 1999, Lee started up the Harley in the garage, did this to charge the battery up because we don't ride anymore. In fact, I sold mine. I'm a mom now. Anyway, I was in there and he started the bike up and my hearing, what precious little hearing I had left, went to zero, just like that. And I was deaf with a capital D. It was absolutely horrible. I didn't want to go anywhere, but I had to go to work. And those people were so mean. They're actually the meanest people I've ever worked with in 16 years with the Postal Service. But I wouldn't even take Ricky Lee to her cheerleading practice. And the games I made Lee take her wasn't a nice experience. Holy shit. Oh my God. Brutal. And fortunately, she goes on in this letter to describe getting her cochlear implant and basically saying that she was at the point at this time, because it was brand new, that she didn't even have to read lips anymore. And she scored like a 45% listening to a di- like a CD mm-hmm. disc. 
kids a CD <laughs> um, for her hearing test. So she came out of that pretty, pretty okay. But that was like a long period of time in between there. And I remember her being furious with him because he had been so careless as to rev up the bike in the tin garage. I have never heard that before. That is heartbreaking. A lot. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot. Do you, do you remember, do you remember how your dad felt? Yeah, I mean, I remember I was in the garage. Oh, so that would have been another thing to be kind of mad about. Pretty traumatic, yeah. He revved the bike, and I remember her putting her hands to her ears and shaking her head, and then the tears just, like, streaming down her face. So, yes, my parents' relationship was waning, uh, and my mom was having to take care of him more than ever, which is just, like, the dichotomy is crazy. And it was at this point where they told me if he made it out of his sickness, they would be getting a divorce, which is an interesting thing to tell. <laughs> I think that's it. And I don't want to dwell on it because I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I do think that that is something that doesn't get talked about a lot with terminal illness is that it doesn't pick and choose the time in a marriage or a relationship when it decides to like rear its ugly head. And I think there have to be so many instances of something else going on in a marriage when that happens. And then what that what that does, because you have to kind of put aside all of those feelings and be a caretaker for this person. And I think it harbors even more resentment because you feel like you can't express, you can't be mad at them, really. Yeah. Which it would be so frustrating, but, and it's something you you have to have so much empathy for on both ends. Because you know the sick person doesn't want to be like, oh, well, they're just being nice to me because I'm fucking sick, but that's what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was a really clear understanding from both of them that they were not happy to be in the situation together. Yeah. So even my mom just has a hard time talking about my dad now, and it yeah. would be because of all of this, which right. is understandable. But a really joyous in the same letter, we have, this is from my mom to Tina again. You know, since having Ricky Lee, I never really knew that if something were to happen to Lee and I, who we wanted to take care of her. In fact, I would pray for him not to take us away from her because there was no one to raise her that I trusted to raise her the way we wanted her to be raised. So I'm asking you, Tina and Ken, <laughs> how would you feel about that? Ricky Lee just told me last week that that's what she would like, to be with her sisters. She wants to be with her Uncle Pat too, but the pull to her sisters is stronger. But you both need to think this through, and I would want full-hearted agreement from both of you. Of course, she would still want to be able to see her uncles and her, sis and her sister. Oh, she's talking about my dad's daughter, Sherry. So you just need to be sure. I wouldn't just put you down without your permission. The older she gets, the more she's talking about them. The more she's feeling this pull, or whatever it is. We were... Oh, we got to pause there. So, and a lot of people have been asking me on TikTok, did you always feel a sense of separation? Did you long for them? And the answer is obviously just unequivocally yes, but I didn't even remember the extent of it until I was reading these letters. 
And I think just as my dad got more sickly, and my mom even says it right here, there's no one to raise her. Like there's there's not really anyone around who's a good candidate. So I think that's when I started to really <laughs> press my mom, press Tina and Ken. And I have to tell you guys, like some of these letters that I'm... <laughs> right to Tina and Ken after this are like ridiculous, like mafia level pressure (laughs) (laughs) from like a six or seven year old. Um, And I think it all kind of started with this and we did talk about it with Tina, but this is where we get to the please don't tell anyone of it all. So she says that I'm having this poll and she says, uh, We were at the Loveland Outlet stores a week ago this last Sunday and I was trying on some shoes at the shoe store. I told you guys I was in a shoe aisle. (laughs) When Ricky Lee ran up to me, she had been standing there watching me and she heard someone say, hi, Julianne. She looked around thinking that Julianne and Kendall were there in the store, but the girl was looking right at her. She told her, I'm not Julianne, but I'm her triplet. She was having a hard time speaking, so stunned was she, (laughs) as was the other girl, and I'll tell you, it made her day. She was so happy, and she kept praying she would see Julianne that day, Julianne and Kendall that day. It really does say Ann Kendall, I promise, it's right here. (laughs) She said, now I know for sure, Mom, that I have two sisters, and I said, did you think I was making it up all these years? And she said, no, it's just that now I know for sure. If you both ever feel that you could find it in your hearts for the girls to meet and to have contact with each other, please let me know. We, Lee and I, would stay out of the picture completely, whatever is necessary, just so that Ricky Lee could meet them. We would do anything for her. If this could happen for her, it would be a moment for all time. Mm -hmm. Every day she runs to the mailbox looking for letters. Did you know that this moment of time would come? (laughs) <laughs> Whoa, cliffhanger. Is that how she ends the letter? No, she says, I've never had a sister, but people that do tell me, told me that this would happen. Every year it grows more and more and my heart aches for her. But this is one thing that I can't just fix through my own way of doing things. Even writing this letter, I'm praying I'm not making a mistake. So trying to be really tentative about the situation and also right. just showing up like such a mama bear. Do we... Do we think that, and I, we might already know the answer to this, but is that how she broke that news? And the only, like, there was not a phone call. No, they didn't do phone calls ever. Oh my God. Can you imagine getting, getting that letter? However many, however long it was. Oh man, mom and dad must have been shitting their pants. <laughs> and then uh, my mom must have, this must have been the letter that my mom's alluding to when she says Ricky is writing to Julianne and Kendall and she's using her very first dictionary. I say, Dear Tina and Ken, I hope you don't mind me writing this letter, but I have one question. Do Julianne and Kendall know about me? Because I would like to visit them. I've waited a long time and I still haven't gotten over wanting to meet them. And if that isn't possible soon, may I talk to them on the phone? I really, really, really want to meet them if it is okay with you. But if it isn't, that's okay. I understand. I don't want to be a bother, but they are my sisters. Please answer my question. <laughs> and then I put my our phone number at the bottom of the letter. So, yeah, this is where I really started to uh, to dig in. And then I think it's probably saved uh, 
best for another time if we talk about how this finally came to be when we start talking about your parents. But before we kind of head out, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) But it needs to be said. I wrote to you guys and said what it would mean to me to meet you. Maybe it's cuter (laughs) when you know that I'm like eight. Okay, in this story, I'm going to tell you what it would mean to me to meet you, Julian and Kendall, my triplets, my sisters. Well, first of all, it would be absolutely amazing because I've wanted to meet you since I was two. Secondly, it would be like Jesus opened a whole new world to me. It would be like I was blind, but instantly I could see again. Third, it would be like one of my wishes because all I've ever wanted was to run up to you and embrace both of you in my arms and get to know you so that we can share interests, wishes, and dreams. I guess I would kind of feel like I was really a triplet, like I really had two live sisters. Well, Julianne and Kendall, this is what it would mean to me to meet you. And if you're ready, I definitely am. Please respond as soon as possible. I love you. Why would you say that's embarrassing? I don't think that's embarrassing at all. It's very well written. It's so sweet. Great handwriting. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and I think it'll be really interesting to get into later. Um, But this is so special to me because it's obviously all I've wanted, like, my entire life. And so when we, like, go through any sort of rifts or hardships... I know that that was always something that I was like, really, that's what hurts about it so much is like, and you guys wouldn't have the same experience because I am like, God, I waited this long to be able to live in the same city and do the same things. And (laughs) this is what it would mean to me to meet you. So um, as we further explore like our sisterhood I think that that'll be a really common theme that you see with the dichotomy between how I feel about the relationships there and how you guys feel is, you know what it's like to be sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also means that you're, you can hurt each other more easily knowing that it will be okay. Right. Versus like if, if we're in a fight like I still have the thing like this might not be okay because it feels more like a friendship Mm -hmm. and a friendship can end at any time. So I'm just so grateful to be sitting here and working on something with you guys where like more and more I feel like everything will be okay. It will always be okay. Well, damn, Ricky (laughs) really took one out of us there. That was, it's so... Like we, we're not bullshitting you guys when we say that this is the first time we've ever talked about this. We are not bullshitting you. This is the first time we've read these letters since they were written, written. And it is just so, it's so special. And I, it's so like, it's so interesting because I, I don't necessarily, I don't think guilt is what I feel, but I think we do have just so much compassion for that little girl and how you're feeling. But we, can, I think we can honestly say that at the same time, that is a foreign thing for us to read because it's not something that we were experiencing. And it's, I mean, to put yourself in the shoes of a, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old that's feeling that way, I just, 
I mean, yeah, socioeconomic levels were different. The way you grew up with is different, but I think the thing that's, you know, the most, I don't know if the right word is touching or stirs up the most empathy and just, oh, fuck, is how much you were, how lonely you did feel and how much you did want to to meet us, which, yeah, we just can't, it's not something that we were experiencing at the same time. So thank you for sharing. And I'm so happy we've met you. I, um, it's, it just like, it breaks my little heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I understand how you felt, but I also just like reading these letters and everything. It's, it's really hard. And I think I'm just also trying to put myself in our parents' shoes mm-hmm. um, because I think they were terrified um, that if we met you, we would want to leave them to be with you. Um, and I think that that's why they probably put it off so long until they <laughs> their hands were forced. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I am really glad that we did get to meet sooner rather than later, I guess. Um, I do want to ask, do you feel like it would have been, do you feel like we were kind of like a, a ray of hope? Or do you wish that you were in the dark like we were? No, that's so interesting that you said that because... As you were saying that, I was like, oh, damn, the whole time that we were just reading those, I wasn't thinking about Tina and Ken not allowing us to meet at all. Mm-hmm. Like it was more so just getting into the the psyche of of me, mm-hmm. um, more a, a selfish self-exploration than anything. And you absolutely, there is one of those letters, they bought me um, a Build-A-Bear <laughs> and it was Ricky the Raccoon. And they put a little voice box in it. We tried to get it working, but it's like so old. So, <laughs> but they put a little voice box in it, and it. I heard their voices for the first time, and you'll see me say in one of those letters that like, I cried when I got it. I'm saying that as a seven year old, like I cried when I got it, or an eight year old, or whatever. But uh, I remember pushing it like every day, especially when things were like really bad, because the the hope that's such a promise of like a new life and like not very many when you're, when you're that young, you're not thinking like, well, one day, you know, I'll meet someone that I'll fall in love with and I'll get married. And this will feel like it was like so long ago. You need like a much more immediate promise Mm -hmm. of a newer life. And that was like the only thing that kept me going. So honestly, if we had met sooner, a, I just wouldn't want that for you too. Um, And it would have been like logistically really (laughs) weird. (laughs) And then, yeah, I wouldn't have had that one thing that was so immediate. Like you could feel that it was so imminent, but you didn't know exactly when, but it wasn't 20 years in the future. Um, That that was definitely the the thing that kept me going. So, Great answer. But what I was asking is um, if your mom hadn't told you that we existed. Oh. Like if you were just a only child. 
what's what about that? What like, what's the question? Do you feel like you would have felt like there was less of like a hole? Oh, for sure. For, yeah. But she I also think. would have felt <laughs> well, I guess we don't know how the biology of it works, but I think she would have felt like less of a hole that she was missing us, but it would have felt like a way bigger hole when she was about to lose her dad and I think it would have, that would have made that a lot scarier. Yeah. And I do, I, I feel like if my mom had told me that I was an only, I've literally never even considered that. (laughs) (laughs) It just blew my mind. Um, I don't know. I felt such a strong pull. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been looking for something. An answer. And I don't think I would have had the name for what I was looking for. And I don't think I would have had the suspicion or the hunch that it was like siblings. Mm -hmm. But, oh, I think it actually could have gotten really dark. Because when you hear, like I've already struggled (laughs) with the things that people struggle with when they're trying to fill a hole. Um, But having an unnameable hole like that and feeling that pull, and I know it so would have been there, would have led me down a pretty pretty dark path, I think. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. So next week I'd love to, I think we're all in agreement that if it's not obvious at this point, we obviously both lose our dads mm-hmm. and we're pretty much there with my dad, mm-hmm. but I'd love for them to share an episode because uh, we have a lot of things to read. Um, so we can kind of shelf that for not the next episode, but probably the episode after that, just talking about their respective downfalls, if you will, and how that all finally unfolded. Um, But next week, (laughs) I'd love to get the chance to talk to you guys about your childhood, which I really so truly believe will be such a needed ray of sunshine Mm -hmm. because your parents have always been absolutely incredible and there are incredible stories there and it's just like a much lighter tone overall until it isn't yeah. <laughs> um and should we should we do like a little palate cleanser before we we sign off I think so did you have something in mind <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to oh yeah speaking of my dad and hamsters That's- I did have a hamster with all of the other farm animals. His name was Henry. And I was out playing one day, and my my dad, God, who knows why he made this decision or why he couldn't think it through all the way. I'm sure there's a number of different reasons. Put my hamster, and I promise you he didn't mean any harm, <laughs> put my hamster out in his cage to get some sun. That's what some, he said. Some vitamin D. <laughs> To get some fresh air. <laughs> some salutations. <laughs> oh, my God. When I come back up from playing and I'm like, where's Henry? <laughs> this man puts on a straight face and crosses his arms over his chest and he says, I'm so sorry. Henry is no longer with us. <laughs> and it's because he fried him. He, Mike, he like... When the kids hold the, the, what's it called? Magnifying glass over the ants. He just put, he microwaved Oh, I gotta love it, Lee. He probably freaking ate it. (laughs) (laughs) 
waste not. <laughs> I mean, I think he buried him in the arena. He had like a proper mm-hmm. burial with mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you're that's probably right. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> he did. That wasn't spam and jam. That was Henry Jam. <laughs> Henry uh, Jam. <laughs> All right, Ricky. Well, thank you so much for being so open and honest and vulnerable with us and giving grace to all of those involved. Um, next week, we're going to put Julianne and I on the hot seat. Hell yeah. Talk about our childhood, uh, which is going to feel like a little bit of a stark contrast and hopefully... Nice. It's uh, going to feel nice. <laughs> it's going to feel a little less heavy. Um, so without further ado, we're signing off. In the meantime, we hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities, and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week, take things in stride, and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. On TikTok, follow us at Luke, who is your father, Pod, which we changed. So just make sure it's not one at the end anymore. It's Pod at Ricky Jump and at Jules. On Instagram, follow us at Luke, who is your father, and at Ricky Jump. And on YouTube, follow us at Luke, who is your father. Thanks to Ricky again for being such a great interviewee. Horns. Uh, Scribe, <laughs> Scribe Media for production and Herzo for original music. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.